Welcome to the Kate McGuire podcast, the bridge to health, where we help people live healthier lives. I had a life-changing experience with natural medicine in my 20s and became passionate about health, nutrition, and natural alternatives, and it is right here that you will find answers. My goal is to give you access to experts and information to help you on your health journey. My other passion is business, and as a multiple business owner, I provide an insider view of the entrepreneurial journey and share the path to help you achieve success sooner and better. Remember to follow me on Instagram at katemaguire.ca for more information and reach out to me if there's something you'd like to hear more of or information I can track down for you. I am your host, Kate McGuire. Welcome to my podcast, The Bridge to Health. Let's get started. back to the Kate McGuire podcast, The Bridge to Health. And today we are talking to Danielle Bins, and she is a certified nutritionist, picky eating expert, and more importantly, a mom of three who just gets it. Danielle experienced the struggles around trying to feed her family firsthand. Her first daughter was an extremely picky eater, labeled failure to thrive and mealtimes were beyond stressful. After endless research, acquiring certifications in picky eating, as well as trial and error, Danielle transformed her daughter into one of the most adventurous kids at the table. She made all the mistakes at meals and is now on a mission to show other parents that there is a better way to raise healthy eaters. Over the past decade, Danielle has helped thousands of parents around the world achieve stress-free meals via her step-by-step online programs, Raising Adventurous Eaters, Picky Eater Protocol, and Private Coaching at Thrive Program. She also makes food exploration fun with her revolutionary mealtime tools, Curious Cookie. Danielle educates and inspires families while speaking at global pediatric conventions, consulting Montessori schools, and running eye-opening workshops for parenting communities. She is a trusted resource for media outlets like CTV News and has been featured on various podcasts like mine. This was such a great interview. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the Kate McGuire podcast. And today I have with me Danielle Bins, a certified nutritionist. She, we've had a great chat. I've learned a lot about her. There's actually many things to this lady, but today we're going to be focusing on picky eaters and a fascinating story she has from her own home. And I I really don't know where to begin with her because there's just so many things to talk to her about. We were having a great chat before the podcast started, but Danielle, thank you so much for being here today. And thank you. We're going to help some people. So thanks. No. Yeah. This is really fun. Thank you for having me, Kate. Great, great. So listen, why don't we just dive right in? Okay. When I was reading your bio, you were talking about your daughter was your first daughter was an extremely picky eater. And actually one of the things that you had written here was that she was labeled failure to thrive. So tell me a little bit about the early days and when you actually sort of discovered that you had a picky eater. Yeah. So it's funny, right? When you're pregnant, you just can't wait for the baby to come and you think it's all like coos and cuddles. And it was anything but that from the moment she came into this world, everyone I knew had, you know, babies that ate well, nursed well, slept generally well. Like, you know, there's a little little blimps and blimps that they experienced, but right from the get-go it was nursing was a struggle. And, uh, and you really felt that pressure of like, this is my job, right? As a mother, I need to nourish this baby. And she just wasn't gaining. So she was born at four pounds, five ounces. And she was, no, she was not premature. They did induce me about a few weeks early. So what happened was on my birthday, we went into, we couldn't figure out why 
my belly wasn't growing. So we noticed that her, she was dropping percentiles while she was in utero. So we went in to just check on this every couple of days and get an ultrasound. And then during one of the ultrasounds, they had just said they had discovered a hole in her heart. So they handed us a piece of paper. I remember my husband and I sitting there and, and you could just tell by like the, the sonographer's face, like something was off. She could just give me a moment. I need to go get the cardiologist. I'm like, why the cardiologist? And then yeah. she came in with a piece of paper that said, you know, cardiovascular disease or sorry, a congenital heart disease. I'm sorry. And yeah. so I was like, what is happening here? So just all of a sudden this like blissful pregnancy just did a 180. And see where you at that point. 37 weeks. Oh my goodness. Gosh. So yeah. So then they it decided, okay, we need to induce you because we don't know what's sheep that this is rather like babies are born with like they have holes in their hearts, but they generally heal on their own. But hers was large. Like it was the size of a thumbnail. And, and for a baby that's four pounds, that's actually like you think about, you know, it's actually a fairly large hole. So it was not going to, you know, mend itself. So we had to wait until about four, until she was eight pounds and weight, just so they, she was big enough to be able to operate on. This is really kind of fascinating to me. So they discovered this and they decided to induce you. And then they had to wait till once she was out of your tummy for her to be eight pounds. So that's what they wanted to do. They wanted, okay. They wanted, yeah, they said she could probably her heart. Um, with the whole, you, it, she really struggled to eat. Like every time she would nurse, she would be sweating because her heart was not working efficiently. Right. And so it was, and then just, she couldn't gain weight because she was burning calories because of her heart. So it just, there was no growth happening. So they said, okay, we have to wait until she's a bit bigger to, or in order to be able to see her heart and even get it like the, um, into her veins and all of that, right. For the, for the surgery. And then just the natural health person in me, I just wondering, did you ever wonder if she should have just gone the full term or do you, you know, did you think um, that? Yeah. Yeah. I think at that point you're just in a, you're in haze. You're like, what is, I, I was just so blindsided because everything was going so well. I had like had so much energy during pregnancy. I was glowing. I was like feeling so good, you know, still working out and all the things. And then all of a sudden, and you're like, you know, I, I was like, it just, for me, I never even crossed my mind that there could be a heart condition, right. Or that weight would be an issue or whatnot, because I've never been exposed to that. And so I was like, whatever the experts are saying here, right. It's yes, what we need to do. Well, I mean, that's what you would do in that moment, of course. And then, yeah, but you just sometimes wonder like the medical intervention, like again, totally. my natural health background, it's like, um, yeah. and, you know, just should we have left, Which, left baby to, you know, thrive or, you know, do the growing sure. need to in what's in what would naturally. Occur. I think what also was happening is my, my amniotic fluid was there. You could just see that the, the amount it was reducing over time. And then because her weight, she had gone from 15 percentile to 10 to six okay. to third. And so she was like, so not, she, she wasn't, wasn't thriving. Yeah. Right. She wasn't thriving right. inside, but yeah. And then, you know, and then when she came out and it was so interesting because I had a midwife and she really can't go into bat for me at, in the hospitals in the hospital, they were saying she just needs to put it beyond formula. She can't be on the boob because she's wasting too much energy. But my midwife was like, no, we you know we're, we're going to try this, at least try nursing first and then bottle. And they would actually, they actually gave her the bottle when I was sleeping and let me sleep through and would just give her the bottle without me knowing at really? times. Anyway, that's a whole other conversation. There was a number of issues that we experienced because we actually discovered the reason why she was so petite. 
Um, and we didn't discover this until she was a year old because she was always on this growth curve, which is always, you know, the, so there's like zero percentile to hundred percentile. She was not yeah. ever above zero. Like she was always in the negative. And I was, you know, mother's instinct. You're like, this is not right. And I kept saying, oh, when she starts solid, things are going to get better. And they never did. And I said, you know, something's going on here. And like, we just need to figure it out, figure it out because I was witnessing other kids at play dates or drop-ins, which I typically avoided because it pained me to see what other kids yes. were eating yes. and how they were feeding and so on. And she was never like that. It was so much stress and she would vomit her food multiple oh. times a day. So you'd work so hard to get it in. So it was this constant stress. It was just easier to be home. And, and I was just going to say, like, it's like this first year of welcome to motherhood where the first baby is the hardest baby. You're so overwhelmed regardless. Mm-hmm. You don't know what you're doing. You feel completely lost. Like, I just can't imagine. And it, I mean, and I know I was nursing too, and, and it wasn't going, it wasn't easy for me at all. And I had a midwife as well who helped me hang in there through it, but it's very, very difficult. So yeah, this sounds like a real challenge you were going through. Well, yeah. And it was one of those things where I was like, I didn't want to be that mom in the pediatrician office. Like, but I just, I said, you know, could we do some testing? And while what we found, lo and behold, they actually did genetic testing when she was born, but they neglected to actually look at it. And what we discovered through that was she had a chromosomal defect that represents something called Russell silver syndrome. So she actually has a a congenital growth disorder as well as the heart condition, which explains all of these issues with her blood sugar and so on. And the thing is that kids with RSS need to be fed at least every few hours. They can't go like 12 hours without food. Otherwise it affects their brain. And so we RSS what's RSS Russell silver syndrome. Russell Silver, we're getting into a whole load of stuff today. Holy moly. (laughs) So anyway, so she has this condition, which then explained why she wasn't growing and had no appetite. And she was on track to get a feeding tube, a gastro tube, because she wasn't gaining weight because she was failure to thrive and failure to thrive is below 3% on the percentile charts. So I ended up actually studying picky eating, getting certified in how to feed children, I was in the only one in the room of like hundred people is all occupational therapists, speech pathologists, pediatricians learning about occupational therapy and sensory eating and so on. Because as a mother at the time, little did I know that this would then turn into me helping people around the world with their children's eating. But yeah, I mean, you lived it, you learned it, and then you can Mm -hmm. teach it. It, This is what it sounds like. For sure. Right. Everyone's mess becomes their message, right? As they say. And And that was my mess for sure. It was a, it was a really, it was a really ugly time, unfortunately. And I never really got to fully enjoy that, you know, early first few years years with her because I was a nutritionist. I knew what she needed, but I could not get her to eat or eat any vast quantities of that food. So. Wow. Wow. That is, that's incredible. So what did you do? Like, I mean, you took on all this information, you became certified as something, there is something called a certified picky eater. Nutritionist? No, so I took I took a couple of different courses where so something is called SOS approach to eating, gauge and feeding matters. Talk to experts like Ellen Sater. Talk to you know a number of experts in the field of of feeding children and and then accomplish certifications in their programs, as well as being you know certified nutritional practitioner at the same okay, time. Okay, so I I guess then let's go with then what started to work for your daughter. Yeah, what started to work, you know. 
it's, it's so interesting. It's not what you would expect. So there's a couple things, you know, people will say, expect me to say, okay, well, this is this food I fed her. And this is what I did with the food. And yes, that's part of it. But even as a nutritionist, I don't focus on food first. What I, when I work with families, I think about it as like this tiered approach and the very bottom t- kind of, you think of like the first layer of the cake, it would be, it's really around joy at mealtimes and enjoyment. And it's interesting. So I was listening to this podcast with this author who wrote this book on joy and, you know, we talk about, we put so much pressure on ourselves to be happy in life and may in, and even, and then also with kids, like getting your kids to eat better, making sure they're eating all the veggies and all the things. And we attach ourselves to that. If our kids are not nursing well, I'm a bad parent. If they're not eating well, I take it personally. If they are eating too many, too much sugar, then, oh my gosh, they're going to have it eating. You know, we think about our own issues with emotional eating and so on. And it's like, what we actually need to do is shift that mindset and focus on the joy, the joyful. And I mean, moments as in it could be seconds, but we have to find those moments of joy around food with our family, regardless of what our kids are eating. Otherwise it just feels like a drag. Our kids feed on that energy and are as, you know, I think it's my Angela who said, you know, we're, people don't remember what you said or what you did. They remember how you made them feel that applies to our kids too. So when you think about meal times for a lot of our kids, it's not the most pleasant time of the day and neither is it for you. So how can we help our kids be, create these positive associations with meal times and not, um, so it's that, that, that would be one of the first things is looking for moments of joy because feeding your family, I get it. It is stressful. I'm a mom of three girls. And as we were just talking about Kate, you know, I'm rushing the rep soccer, you know, they've got piano, they've got this, they've got that there's friends coming into the house. It's, it's a lot. And trying to get them to sit and stay at the table and eat a meal and all that. It's a lot. And even just coming up with what to make for your family that everyone's going to eat. So I'm not discounting the stress and the mess that comes with meal times, but there, that's why we actually need to do the work to find the joy. Otherwise it just feels like it becomes a dreaded experience. And it's one of those rare opportunities we, where we actually get to connect with our families during the day. So that is the first thing I would, I tell families in the first pillar when I, when they're working with me, either in my pick eater protocol or in my racing adventures eaters club, the first thing we do is mindset. And it's, it's kind of like, I give parents what they want is helping your kids, giving you the tools, help your kids eat better, but I'm also giving you what you need. And that is the mindset shift. And so one of the things is around, is around replacing that stress with joy, looking for ways to inject joy around food. Right. And I, I don't know. I think my generation was certainly brought up with, you eat everything on your plate. Oh yeah. The clean plate syndrome or clean. Yeah. You're not leaving this table till that food is eaten. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. what we grew up with. Right. Uh, And there was, I was a good eater. I wasn't a picky eater, but I know my brother really struggled and it, you know, there's probably nutritional issues there because I know he struggled to keep, um, his food down when he was little. So I think food was a very stressful event for sure at our table. I mean, I was fine. So I ate everything. The one thing I used to absolutely be mortified by was liver. That was a big thing. Mm. Our house was yeah, not my awful. mom loves liver. I yeah. actually, it's funny. I fed my kids liver when they were younger and they wouldn't go for it now, but they did. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I always used to, the smell was so distinct. I'd walk through the door and I would think, oh no, oh, no. it's liver <laughs> night. Oh no, liver and onions. Yeah. It's funny when I take my mom, I take my mom to restaurants 
my parents, I, if there's liver on the menu, that's what she's going for. It, yeah, it is. It's crazy because I, I, even with being brought up with it, I would still not be drawn to it now as an adult at all. But I know my father, if we're somewhere and it's liver and onions, he'd be happy to order that. Mm, yeah. If, yeah. And I actually, if it's done well, actually I prefer chicken liver, but there's only so much of it. And I can totally understand, appreciate why it turns off a lot of people, but yeah, the clean plate syndrome or clean plate club was definitely, I was part of that. And to this day, it's kind of a running joke in our family because my husband always leaves food on his plate and I am finishing that off. Like I see it even as a 40 year old, I am there looking up the crumbs. Right. And I don't want my kid now it's, you know, I can laugh about it, but it's interesting that that was something that I, that has stuck with me from childhood. Right. And it's fairly innocent but for some, for others, it could really manifest into, you know, bigger eating issues. And I've got a lot of like a, emotional attachment to food. Right. And so we really want to protect our kids from developing these, what can turn out to eating, to be eating disorders by the way we talk about food, the way we engage in meals with them, the way we talk about ourselves and our own bodies. I remember my mom and my mom is awesome, but you know, did take me when we go to the grocery store. Remember those little calorie counter books? Yes. Do you remember them? So she actually would buy one for her and buy one for me. And who knows, maybe I asked for it at the time, but I think I might've been 12. So I'm like counting my calories. Yes. Right. It's just wild. I, I used to watch my mom when I was a kid, always dieting and she would get sliced cucumbers, Melba toast. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she's actually starving herself all the time. Women have never changed with wanting to be thin, but I, I think nowadays it's wonderful that I think women are so much more educated that less food does not equate to health at all. Right. Like you right. need less energy, less everything, like your skin, everything looks terrible. So the, the food part, if you can get the food part figured out that you can have plenty of food. Um, and it's not, it frustrates me because it's not hard to figure out. Just, you just have to eat healthy, fresh foods. <laughs> I know. So I know hard. we do overcomplicate and that's really, you know, I really try to simplify things for families. So whether I'm working with them one-on-one or in my programs, it's like bite size, like little things that you can do that actually save you time. We don't yeah. need more things on our plate. I was saying feeding your family should, doesn't need, I get that there are moments of stress, but we can really, we can really turn the tides and, and, and make it a lot simpler just by making small tweaks. Right. So what would be like something you would express to a family that comes to you? Let's say what would be a typical, and you must have typical scenarios of people coming to you with problems at the dinner table or someone's not eating. Like what would sort of be your three typical problems that families are facing with their kids and dinner time? A couple of problems. One is their kids are not wanting to sit at the table or come to the table or up and down just, just the mobility part of it. And that can be frustrating, distracting because you've gone through the effort of making this meal and then no one wants to come to the table, the complaining about the food, right? Like, I don't want this, you know, I want this instead. And kind of coupled with that is asking for something else. So they don't want the dinner. I'm not hungry for dinner, but then 15 minutes later asking for a snack. Right. So those are a couple of things or just judging a food at first sight, you know, yes. right when they went, right when they look at the food, they're not tasting it and they're saying they're immediately turning it down and, and turning their nose up to the, to the food. So that's just really, really frustrating. Cause you think about how much time we spend in the kitchen yeah, right, trying exactly. to prepare food and yeah. then we get, we it's met with this taste. It's, it's, it's hard for parents to see that and hear that. And we also take it personally, right? It was like, yeah. it's like, it's my kid and, and this is how they're behaving. Therefore I may be, must be a bad parent, but it's like changing the dialogue around that. Yes. My child does not want dinner 
and I'm still a good mom, right? I'm still doing my best. And so it's never going to be perfect. Parenting is, is really difficult, or, especially when it comes getting to food. angry too, right? Like, Oh, you know, you've made all this food, you've worked really hard, you're tired as well. And then they're complaining, they don't like it. And then you, you feel angry that they're so ungrateful, but it's funny. You have to remind yourself, especially kids that are under 10, that they are children, like children yeah. act these ways because they're children. They're, they have to be guided for better behaviors, better things to say, nicer things to say, better ways to ask. Right. And, yeah. and you have to take the offense out of it and, and not get angry. So, yeah. So tell me about then what kind of, how would you tell a family to bring that joy to the table? So a couple ways, one is when you think about, so food is, is a really sensory experience, right? It's like the only human task that we do that requires all of the sensory systems and it uses all of our organs, right? And so it's actually a quite, and multiple muscles. So our tongue is actually a muscle and in you, and, and so we think about eating, we have an expectation around eating and like feed a kid your child broccoli and they should eat the broccoli, but there's so many other steps that need to be, they need to be comfortable with. And really, when you think about the steps, it's really the sensory system. So I like to give parents that kind of framework around when you give your child a new food and they're not wanting to eat it. Don't worry about the eating focus on the little wins, which are kind of, which are hidden into the, the like the sensory experiences. And so things like, you know, how the food looks, let's talk about that. Oh, that's interesting. And that's it. Be done with it, right? Let them seek joy and, and, and find, let's try to make food friendly for them by not pushing on the eating and instead leveraging their sensory system because the more they are exposed to a, a new food or a food that they don't love yet, and they're learning to like it with their senses, the more likely it is that they will put that food in their mouth. And so that's where some parents have a trouble, have a tough time with that. Partly is we are exhausted to your point, Kate, right? It's like you're working all day, or maybe you're just at home and you're doing all the things around the house. Now your kids are coming home and they're demanding for snacks and granola bars and all that kind of stuff. Not liking what's on the table. The last thing you want to do is like turn on this ripe side of your brain and come up with creative ideas on how to get your kids engaging with food from a sensory perspective. And so that's why, as we were talking about earlier, I ended up creating the curious cookie products. Originally it was just for my clients to help them take what we talk about in our private consults and put it into action because it's their child actually doing the work and not them. And so, and so the curious cookie mat, it's this tool that takes them on this journey on their own. So the child can actually learn to like the food from a sensory perspective. So that is one way to do it is, is leveraging the sensory system around so, food. So is that almost like, cause I know with our kids, what I often did was I would give them quite a few choices on their plate so that if they picked the three out of the five, I was still really satisfied because they were still, all the choices were good. Right. Yep. So they wouldn't lose if they didn't eat all five. I knew they were still getting enough protein or veg, whatever. Right. So would sort of a win for a family be with what would be um, seen as a picky child, like, and say broccoli is the issue. You're putting the broccoli, you're putting the mashed potato, you're putting cut up pieces of chicken, you're putting maybe cucumber and you're putting, I don't know, something else, maybe some fresh strawberries or something. And mm -hmm. it's a win that maybe they've not seen two of those foods and they maybe don't eat that broccoli that day, but they, they pick it up, they've touched it. They've sort of 
been aware of it. You haven't even made a big deal about it. They might even say, what is this mummy? And you say, you know what? That's something called broccoli. It's really good for you. It's got calcium in it, right? You can actually get calcium from your broccoli, just like you do from your milk. Yeah. Uh, they don't do something with it. Like, is that a win? But at least they've not like picked yeah. it up, thrown it, or I don't know, or just absolutely. Oh, for sure. So in my program, we do something called winning Wednesday. And I actually encourage them not to share foods that their kid ate, which there are many and parents have a hard time not sharing that, but actually share when their child was exposed to a food. They have not really seen that often, or they've talked about a food in a positive way, or they sat at the table or they touched a food. Yeah. So it's looking at those celebrating those baby steps along the way is something that not only for you to feel that sense of joy and, and also recognizing progress, because if we just look at the end, what parents, most parents do is they look at the end goal. Okay. My child needs to be eating this whole, the rainbow of fruits and vegetables in order for me to feel like a good parent or to feel like I'm successful. Well, or what will they think when, when I'm out with him somewhere or I'm at the mom's group or I'm like, and he's yeah. not eating. How do I look right? Yeah. It's like you but- forget who cares how like you're just totally focused on your child's well-being and health you know even the meltdown thing like when the kids had the meltdown in the grocery store and I know the mom is so mortified like I want to say to the mom like it's okay like let them melt down like it's okay like you're handling it you've got this right yeah because you know like when my kids ever melted down, I didn't care because it was an opportunity for learning, right? Like there's something going on here. I'm going to pull them out of the situation. I'm going to give them a hug and let them calm down. And then we're going to talk about why that behavior was inappropriate. Right. But I think moms just, they do get caught up in what everyone thinks. And then they act really quick, like maybe out of anger, like when their kid is melting down in the store and then they, they get angry or they grab them or, you know, heaven forbid they smack them or whatever. Right. And then the mom just feels horrendous because she lost her cool and she didn't need to because the meltdown doesn't matter who cares if someone's giving you a glare like you are mommying like you are parenting yeah. you're going through the hardest challenge of your life you know and your duty yeah. is just to keep you and your kid you know connected here and that's all that matters keep that connection alive right so, so, well that's yeah. where yeah meal times it really does make it difficult right parents lose their cool constantly and it's and i i did it too and i you know even it's 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 very triggering food is triggering for people so whether yeah whether you're in the grocery store or at a restaurant or whatnot but it's yeah it can be it can be something that really where parents and they feel bad about their response to it and they'll often message me like oh I made them, I know I said I wasn't going to do this, but I, I said, you have to have a bite of everything on your plate before you get dessert. And I know I'm not supposed to do that, but I just do it right. Because they want, that's where they see it's like that check mark, food and mouth check mark. I feel good. And I, mean, I just want really, really to think about too. It's like, I think they have to think about why, what is driving them to demand that of their child? Like, I know you know, one situation I was in, in the car, my child was misbehaving and I was with my mother. And all I was thinking was my mother must think this is so terrible. Right. But it doesn't matter what my mother thinks, right? Like it's about me and my child's connection, what I need to do there. So I think if everyone can just get that out of their head, what does my mom think? What does this person think? What does the other mom think in the mom group, whatever, like, and just get back to what you're trying to achieve with your child, which is staying connected to help them grow. Like, and that, that, I think that regret of, you know, losing it or the anger that that's the, like, that's the part you don't want to happen. Right. For sure. And that's where you can get where you want them to be. Well, and sometimes we just need like, it can be, it can be hard. You're on all the time. And, and so it's, sometimes it can be easy to snap, but I often just recommend parents taking a breath 
Like even if you need to go hide in the bathroom for a minute, regroup, do some deep breathing and even then come out with a smile. It changes your brain chemistry, right? So like do little things to, to help you cope with the situation, but also set expectations, the right expectations for yourself, because you may go make another mu- like a muffin thinking, Oh, great. My kid's going to eat this. Cause they love muffins and they don't. And then you're really pissed. Cause now you've got all this food you need to all these muffins you need to eat, but just keep expectations really low. Cause kids are fickle. They're, you know, expect the unexpected right? with, with them. And sometimes they may pleasantly surprise you, but often they're tired too. And the last thing they want to do is try something new or eat their veggies when they've had a long day. So it's, you know, keeping things light as much as possible really does benefit everyone because then they leave the table. So the thing I want to, sorry, I just wanted to mention as I'm talking about this is that we want our kids. The reason why I created the, the curious cookie mat too, is it want kids to feel a sense of success. And when they get to check things off and they see themselves moving along this path or in mummy commends, like recognize, Oh, great job. I saw, I noticed you sat in the chair a little longer today, or I love how you touch the broccoli or thank you so much for serving, you know, scooping out the food on your plate and, you know, just acknowledging those little steps along the way, instead of just the result. Usually we only say something and acknowledge our child's success when they put something in their mouth. But if we do that, then they think, well, okay, mommy or daddy, they're only happy when I try something new. And that's, that's really hard for me. So I'm not even going to bother trying, but if they notice that you're acknowledging these baby moves that they're making and they're like, oh, mommy was happy. I just sat here. Okay. I can do that again tomorrow. Oh, okay. They, you know, they liked how I, um, you know, put a food on my plate. I didn't even eat it, but they were happy about that. I can do that again. And so now it becomes much easier for them to engage in the family meal and not cause drama because they see that you are pleased with their baby steps and they don't need to do check all the boxes that we're expecting them to. And also it just helps them come, yeah, come back to the meal the next time and, and, and be ready to, for a positive experience. So is there anything that you think sets children up for better eating habits, like right at the beginning when, you know, they're, they're, they're baby, they're nursing, and then they're getting, they're starting solids, right? Mm-hmm. So do you, have you seen in your experience or your training that there is a way to feed children at the start that sets them up to be open to, because I know a lot of parents would like hold off on introducing maybe something like they see as sort of an adult taste, maybe like avocado or mm-hmm. uh, something that seems like a red pepper something that seems more mm-hmm. like an adult would eat oh like you know parents stick to like the cucumbers and the chicken pieces that type of thing yeah. is there something that you see sets children up for success to not be picky or is it really just the child so well sometimes it's 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 environmental right where it's parent style parenting style and then sometimes it can be genetic but you can you know my daughter had genetic condition she was one of the most of most kids with her condition have this feeding tube and she does not. I present at the conference now, her medical conference every year for kids with growth disorders because she, we did things differently with her. And so I want parents to know that even if there is something genetic, maybe you have a husband that's a picky eater or, you know, whatever it may be that leads you to believe that this is part of the part of their DNA, you can change that, right? Just like if you are are predisposed to diabetes or heart disease or cancer, because other family members have, it doesn't mean you will too, because you can flip the switches. Right. And so same thing can happen. So part of it can be environmental and and sorry. So you were, I want to make sure I come back to your question. Repeat. Yeah. So just basically if there was way, I mean, with your daughter, that was going to be my next question then, because you actually say that now your daughter is an adventurous eater, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Just such a picky eater. So what was that path like, but also, you know, 
is, have you seen in your training or your um, exposure now to all these families that there is a way to start with our children once they go on solids that sets them up oh, yes, for solid. That's right. healthy, healthy eating habits? Yeah. So at the get-go, I fed my kids everything. Like I let them eat black olives at five months. Like I didn't hold anything back, you know, and, and I don't know if they're just born good eaters. Cause they both are great eaters. Like I, it might be one or two foods. They're like, Oh, I'm not keen on that, but they eat everything like salmon, shrimp, steak, like they'll, they'll, they eat everything. Right. And yeah. so I just, yeah, I, I didn't hold back on giving them anything when they were, no, and you should, and you should, and I know there's, there's some like, especially first time parents, you're like, a bit nervous about allergies and so on. So you want to follow those protocols, but, but absolutely. My kids were eating sardines and mackerel and chicken liver and, you know, <laughs> all the things I expose them to everything. And it's interesting, right? Because a lot of parents will just go bland because they don't think their kids like sauces on things or like spices, but my daughter, she actually loves cur- like anything with spice. Like we do curried cauliflower. She'll have all the different types of curry from like Indian restaurants. And so, yes, yeah, she does have her preferences, but I'm okay with that because everyone has their preferences and she's willing to try, right. Yeah. And willing to engage with the food. And even if she doesn't like it yet, there's that, at least that, you know, she, she opens the door. She doesn't shut it right away where a lot of kids will just say yuck of, you know, at first glance. So, but yeah, at, at the get-go, when you're starting solids with your, your child, absolutely don't shy away from different flavors, spice, use spices like cinnamon and nutmeg and, and all the things. Um, and then also be careful with pouches and pureed foods because if kids are on them too long, there's a greater connection for picky eating behaviors over time because they haven't had the opportunity to develop their oral motor skills at those early stages when those developmental stages, when that activity is supposed to be mastered. That's really, really interesting. And, you know, it's funny when they are little too, can we just stop the chicken finger and fry thing everywhere you go. It drives me insane. Can you not just at least offer the chicken with this steamed veggies? And I know parents will say, well, my kids won't eat that. You know, when I took my kids out once to Boston pizza, when they were little, I was thrilled. They had on the children's menu, salmon and veggies. And I ordered that before my kids were old enough to start saying, I don't want that. I want chicken fingers. But when they were young enough, I was just ordering for them. I just thought it was fantastic that I could get that option at Boston pizza of all places that they were, I don't know if they still offer that, but it drives me insane. The chicken fingers and fries thing. And I think, well, why am I as an adult ordering maybe, you know, a nice dinner with salmon and veggie and some wild rice. And I'm letting my kids eat like this. Like it doesn't make sense. And there's, we don't get rushed are growing. Totally. Well, restaurants just don't, we don't give kids the benefit. Like, we don't, we don't give them benefit of the doubt in terms of what they're able to eat. So I actually have done some consulting for restaurants in Toronto and developed kids menus that are healthier and actually fun and inject joy at, at mealtime. So parents can enjoy their own meal when you're out to eat, but also not feel, you know, kind of guilty that your kids are just eating a bunch of fried food. So, so yeah. So when you fly, most kids menus just drive me nuts because they're just laden with all the unhealthy things and bland and everything's beige. And when kids actually do eat these other foods, we're just not allowing them the opportunity to do that because we, we, we assume that their palate is so much more limited than it actually is. And restaurants are such a great opportunity to expose kids to new foods. And what do you think, do you think like parents who have these picky eaters, if they went the route of like, because often what I'd say in my kitchen was 
that's the only thing on the menu tonight. You know, that's the only thing the cook is, the kitchen's cooking tonight. And like I said, everyone's really good. So they don't, you know, occasionally they might say, oh, I don't feel like this tonight, but I'll say that that's all we're serving. Right. So do you think parents should be catering to their kids and like, you know, their demands or I don't like this. And, and it's sort of going like just the, the cut up apple and cheese for them for dinner, like, because it's a fight, like, or do you think they should be stronger, more firm? You know, what's the answer with that? With keeping the joy, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'm probably wondering, how do I keep the joy if, you know, I'm not going to give in to my kid demanding cucumbers and, you know, cheese tonight and, and we're having a nice fresh dinner that I've made. Like what do, what do they do? Yeah. So I, we know that kids do better when there's boundaries. And when they know what's expected of them. So letting them know this is what we're having for dinner before it actually happens, set the expectation. There's no going in the cupboard or asking for anything else. Uh, so letting them know in advance and yeah, that that's what's there is what's there. As long as there's something, you know, your child can manage, then you've done your job. And now it's your child's job to figure out what they want to eat from the table. They may not eat everything. That's totally normal, but they're, at least they're getting the exposure. But as soon as we open the door and say, Oh yeah, go ahead. You know, would you want to get make a peanut butter sandwich instead or get an apple instead? Now they know, okay, well, it's a free rain every night. And now the exposure, the opportunity to expand their food list reduces. Yeah. Or maybe they could do again, like give them a choice. Like, look, Monday and Tuesday, it's always what mommy makes. Maybe on Wednesdays, that might be your peanut butter and jelly night or something, right? But mm-hmm, you know, for sure. How are you getting this, all this information you have, you've lived it, you've experienced it. Now I know you've got a thriving business, helping people and picking eaters. And so how does that look? How do you deliver and help people now? What, what is, what is your method for helping people one-on-one? Are you doing groups? You know, everyone, it's interesting. I was just having a conversation with a parent before our call, Kate, and she was just saying she prefers more handholding. Like I want to be able to have conversations with somebody while all my programs kind of get you to a similar place. It's really about how do people operate best and where somebody else, another client I have is like, just tell me what to do. Give me the checklist. I will go through the checklist every week and I will get her done. That's why I offer private coaching and I do three to six months because just as picky eating didn't happen overnight, it also to resolve itself, it takes some time, especially the older your child is, the more complex the case, the more time parents need. So I really provide that opportunity to, to reach out to me at any time. It's not just during our calls. So I make sure because you're feeding your kids every day. And so I want parents to know that they've got me in their back pocket and they're really never alone in our time together. And so by the end of when we were done coaching in my thrive program, they walk away knowing exactly how to feed their kids, what to say when they pull out all these tricks, you know, of not wanting this or asking for a snack and all the things that kids typically do, but they know how to prepare foods in a way that is engaging for their child, how to make meals fun and memorable and how to help set their kids up to have a positive relationship with food, because that's really what we're doing, right? Because I can tell you how to get your kid to eat all the things right now, but that's not what you really want. You really want your kid, your child to be, have a healthy relationship with food and eat all the, know what is good for them as they grow up as well. Right. So, so that's that. And then the picky eater protocol is more of a step-by-step six week program where parents can just watch videos fill in cheat sheets or checklists if they like, and implement the steps one by one. And then the Raising Adventures Eaters Club is more of a kind of more bite-sized approach. So every month we focus on one food. So this month it's rice. Last month it was cauliflower. The month before that it was romaine lettuce. It was eggs. So we cover all the healthy foods and show you how to introduce them in a fun and engaging way because kids learn through, kids learn through play. And that is what we do.
in the closet. You know, you just- you just reminded me of, cause you were talking about one of the parent complaints is getting their kids to the table. And I remember when my kids were little, I used to make it a game like, okay, dinner's coming. And yeah, they didn't want to come. So, okay. Do you want to fly to the table? Or are we going to have a race to the table? Right. So then they're like, Oh, I want to fly. So you're picking them up like as if they're an airplane and flying the man and doing That's all that. Fun. I just, those are all coming back to me now. My kids are, are older, but I do remember that. Or even brushing teeth. Like, are we going to fly today? Or are we going to, you know, have a race up? So it just suddenly becomes fun to do these things that they don't really want to do. So yeah. Okay. So I guess the biggest lesson I can get from this is joy. Like it's about keeping mealtime a happy place. I think for parents to remember to not lose their cool that, you know, they're sort of in this they're, they're working with their kid. It's all about that connection, right? Staying connected yep. to your child. Just trying to help them. And and they, and also they don't want to be bad. Like kids mm-hmm. don't want to be terrible. They're just trying to find their way and they really need you to guide them, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Kids, they want to be good eaters. They just need your help. They just need a plan and you to take them on the journey to get there. Awesome. Okay. So everyone can find you on Instagram. We've got a wonderful places to find you. Instagram. You are Danielle Bins and it's D-A-N-I-E-L-L-E. Bins is B-I-N-N-S. It'll be in the bio. Oh, Danielle Bins Nutrition. Yeah. Oh, Danielle Bins Nutrition. Okay. On Instagram. Also your curious cookie, which is really cool. We didn't really get to kind of get into that, but you showed that to me before our, our podcast started. And that that's almost like a map that the child follows in discovery of the food, right? You have different towns named. I mean, it's so fascinating. I think that's awesome. And that's curious cookie, your Instagram curious cookie, right? Yep. Curious cookie, curious cookie kids.com as well. So you can check that out there. And there's also a card game. That's like really fun for families just to get everyone involved and just quick wins around food. So yeah, definitely check that out. If you're finding meals, a bit of a drag and your child is resistant to you in, in trying new foods. Right. Okay. And then you've got your website, daniellebins.com. Is it daniellebinsnutrition.com? Just daniellebins.com. Just to keep everything, you know, confusing. <laughs> it's, I think I got into the Instagram game a little late. So Danielle Bins was gone at that time. <laughs> I was late too. So anyways, whatever we're there now. Right. Well, yeah. listen, thank you so much for being here today. And thank you for sharing all your information for helping people. And it sounds like, I mean, this is a field that will always be busy and have a need. So mm-hmm. you're going to have to duplicate yourself, I think, because there's lots of families out there that need your help. Well, thanks for the opportunity, Kate. It's great. It was great to chat with you before as well. And I'm really excited for parents to hopefully you know, walk away with just some tidbits to change the trajectory of, you know, what meals are looking for, like looking like for them and their families. Amazing. Thanks, Danielle. Bye-bye. Thanks folks for listening and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Please follow me on Instagram at katemaguire.ca and join me for more episodes on the bridge to health. Bye for now. The views, information, or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment.